This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, June 8, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. The most vocal opponents of legalizing hemp, the fibrous plant useful for everything from oils to building materials, seem to be drug warriors and some marijuana growers. Eric Steenstra is president of Vote Hemp, an advocacy group working to draw that clear distinction between hemp and its psychoactive relative, marijuana. We spoke today. In uh, you know in the in the early '90s, a friend of mine uh, shared a book with me called "The Emperor Wears No Clothes." I uh, may have may have seen it. Read I think that. I had a copy of that book yeah. in high school. Exactly. So it, it was a real eye opener for me that uh, you know I had had been somewhat familiar with cannabis from you know uh, college years and whatnot, but I didn't really know much of the history at all. And when I read the book, it was fascinating. A lot of it was about you know focusing on hemp and kind of uncovering some of this history. And it just really surprised me that uh, that I had you know lived all those years and had no clue about it. And so anyways, he and I started talking more about it, and he was very interested in pursuing potential business opportunity. We ended up starting a clothing company together called Ecolution. And so... And, and that, produ- that produces hemp cloth? Exactly. Now, I've owned jeans that were made of hemp, and they were among the most comfortable I've ever owned. You, you, you might have had a pair of our jeans for all that. You know, I mean, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, we were, we were making them uh, in, the, in the 90s there. So, in any case, that's what got me started in the industry. And I took some trips to Eastern Europe. At that time, there were only a few places that we kind of knew of to go to potentially get hemp uh, fabric or fiber. And that was uh, – I ended up in Hungary first and then eventually in Romania uh, and um, so that was it was a great experience. So, what is the status right now of hemp uh, in the United States? I know that the U.S. imports most of the hemp products, and it's of course used in food and other other things. But what is its status? Yeah, so hemp products have been legal to import. Uh, all along, there's an exclusion in the definition of marijuana that says that the stalk and the fiber from the stalk and the seeds, once they've been processed so they can't germinate and any of the derivatives of the seed are legal to, you know, to possess and to import and any products made for them are legal. So we've, you know, seen a, you know, over a half a billion dollar industry develop here entirely on imports based on that exclusion. And uh, you know the Hemp Industries Association estimates that the market's about $573 million as of 2015 retail sales of hemp products. And this is like foods, body care, textiles, car parts, uh, it's, uh, building materials, a huge range of, of products. So building materials and car parts, that should be surprising to some people to know that uh, hemp is turned into that kind of stuff? I think it, it, it definitely is. A lot of people have no idea that, you know, the BMW or the Mercedes or the Ford driving down the road actually has hemp-based composite materials in door panels and interior parts. Uh, they're, they're experimenting with a lot of other parts as well. And that major American company like Johnson Controls, for example, has already been manufacturing these for more than a decade and uh, putting them into cars. And we've got literally millions of cars on the road today with hemp parts. You don't see the hemp. It's underneath, you know, it's part of the structure of the car. The leather's over top or whatever. But uh, yeah, so that is a surprise. And then the building materials is something that uh, I think that has some some incredible potential too, because the core of the stock is this woody material. And um, it has some really excellent insulative properties. And so in Europe, they discovered that if you mix it with lime and water, that they could come up with a mixture that uh, that's that provides better insulation and it breathes naturally and um, kind of doesn't have any of the issues with mold because of the lime material. 
And so it's, uh, you know, like a 12-inch wall would have an R factor of 25, which is quite good. And since it naturally breathes, it uh, could reduce your cost of, um, you know, cost of heating and cooling your home. I mean, it's interesting because this is a product that uh, isn't subsidized like, say, corn uh, that you can make some similar items out of. This is a product that's illegal to grow in the United States because of various laws passed uh, decades ago. Was the Marijuana Tax Act and the Controlled Substances Act uh, make it essentially impossible to grow hemp in the United States. Well, what is what are the estimates for what that industry might look like in the United States if it were legalized? Well, you know, hemp. I mean, historically, hemp was a crop that was grown going back to the you know before the founding fathers. I mean, so George Washington grew hemp on his estate in Mount Vernon, and Thomas Jefferson, and the other founding fathers, wrote about it and talked about it, and they utilized it. And so we've had this history up until, as you mentioned, up until about 1937. When they passed the Marijuana Tax Act, they didn't really clearly understand the distinctions between hemp and marijuana. Uh, but the industry did stand up and say, hey, we need to still be able to grow this. And, and they, they allowed them to, but they required them then to pay a tax and to have this special stamp that said producer of marijuana on it. So it kind of created a bit of a stigma. And uh, you know, after a while, it, it, you know, farmers are used to just being able to go buy their seeds and plant them. And, and uh, so that didn't really, you know, didn't, didn't do well for, for hemp as a crop. But I think that the you know the real potential, if you look now at the fact that we've already got over a half a billion dollar market based entirely on imports, and the fact that we only have one other fiber crop that can really only be grown in the southern half of the United States, that's cotton. It's not a very sustainable crop. We're talking about I mean, hemp, hemp can be grown without pesticides, takes less water. The potential here is that hemp could be a major commodity crop, you know, over time. I think uh, you know right now we need to remove barriers. Right now we've got you were asking what was the policy, and so. Uh, up until 2014, the policy was you couldn't grow it without a license from DEA, which was almost impossible to get. You'd have to have 10-foot high barbed wire fences and special reason to grow it and all that. So nobody grew it. And then in 2014, we uh, was fortunate that uh, Congress, uh, thanks to um, some efforts by uh, Senator McConnell and uh, some members in the House, including Thomas Massey. It's, and, a, it's a big Kentucky contingent there. It's a Massey, uh, John Yarmuth. Yeah. Uh, and others, and Rand Paul. Uh, Kentucky has been a huge, you know, proponent for this and has helped open doors. And I also want to give credit to to Jared Polis from Colorado, who introduced the initial amendment uh, uh, that that passed in the House. That was the first legislation in the modern era that had been voted on. And so, in any case, Congress did include a, a provision in the 2014 Farm Bill that allows for pilot programs and research conducted either by universities or departments of agriculture. Which Kentucky, I believe, has two. Believe it or not, they actually have, this year, <clears throat> they're going to have 175 licensed projects. Uh, seven or eight of those are at universities, including University of Kentucky and a number of the other universities there in the state. And also, um, there's about uh, uh, close to 100 and over 160 private producers that are acting doing research and pilot programs under the Department of Agriculture. Before we started recording, you had mentioned that there was some, uh, to this day, vocal opposition to uh, legalizing hemp and turning it into a commodity cash crop. Um, where is that opposition coming from now? I could understand if police were 
had a problem with it, but you say that's not where a lot of the opposition is coming from. Yeah, we're we're finding that largely it's it's been from the Drug Enforcement Administration, but there's been some interesting dynamics that have developed in some of the states, where we you know for example in California our primary opposition was the Narcotics Officers Association and the marijuana growers. So narcotics officers and marijuana growers. They were both opposed to hemp legislation. Uh, narcotics officers didn't want to see any cannabis growing, and uh, we weren't quite sure exactly why. But uh, in any case, they didn't want to see hemp, and then the marijuana growers were concerned that the pollen from hemp could potentially uh, be detrimental to their crop. And, and, it, and it could be. Yeah, and it, and it absolutely could be. And so, you know, for example, in Northern California, where a lot of marijuana is grown outdoors, uh, in fact, we worked with the, the sponsors of the legislation to make some amendments to allow for localities to be able to say, hey, we don't necessarily want to have hemp here. And we thought that's that's fine. Let them decide whether they want to have hemp be grown there. But in the Central Valley, maybe it makes sense. Is a lot of what uh, leads to the laws continuing to be on the books where uh, hemp is treated uh, essentially identically to marijuana, is that just inertia? Yeah, because I, it, it wouldn't make they wouldn't pass a law like that today. No, I don't think so. And and it's it, a lot of the laws at the state level look very similar to the federal. So I think states just kind of fell in line once the once the federal government passed its laws, they they adopted similar laws to. But many states have like at Kentucky, and I, I assume Colorado may be one of them that have have made all the proper accommodations at the state level, and now they're just waiting on the federal government to do something to allow this crop to become. Uh, you know, I, when I talked to John Yarmouth recently. He said he, you know, he has no problem with putting absolutely no restrictions on the growing of hemp. Yeah, and that's where we should be, right? Hemp should be treated like any other agricultural crop, where a farmer can go down to his local, uh, you know, seed source and and buy seeds and plant them and harvest the crop and and do what he does with it. So uh, we'd like to see it become a commodity again. Yeah. So in in the states, it's interesting that uh, when when the farm bill passed, there were only ten states that had legislation on the books that recognized hemp and that would allow them to take advantage of that provision. Since then, a lot of states sat on the sidelines because they, you know, they didn't want to do anything since the federal government still considered it illegal. Since then, we've had 19 states that have passed legislation. So there's now 29 states that have the potential to take advantage of that. And we expect 12 or 13 at least this year will be are planting hemp, hemp crops, either for research or pilot programs. Eric Steenstra is president of Vote Hemp. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.